the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. Would you like to find us? We would, too. You can find us all over the interwebs on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, slash The Common Good. Also on Twitter, at Common Good Talk. You can call us, if you like, 312-660-2594+. Plus. As people have pointed out, oh, you guys have a podcast, right? <laughs> yes. So we do have a podcast. And other which, people who listen to the podcast go, oh, you have a radio show. <laughs> that's true, which I think is we should have like a, a segment where we have those two different groups meet. <laughs> I don't know if that, that would be entertaining. Meme. It's yeah, yeah. where they're pointing at each other. <laughs> right. Yeah, kind of like that. I wonder if there's any uh, correlation between the people that are more interested in radio or more interested in the podcast. Either way, if you're a podcaster, uh, first, we appreciate that a lot. If you like, subscribe, and review, that does somehow help us magically, and we do really, really appreciate. Also, we're still a new show, so if you hit that share button, uh, any of that is really, really greatly appreciated. Here's the headline of this first story. Uh, quote, don't mess with me. <laughs> House Speaker Nancy Pelosi rips reporter who asks if she hates Trump. So you said you read about this. You, I did. You hadn't seen it yet, right? What was uh, your take in general just reading about it over the weekend? Uh, it felt like, yeah, when I read about it, I, my first thought was, what a weird conversation. Like, of all the conversations we need to be having on our political spectrum, like, it, it feels like the conversation I have with my children. Like, don't hate. Don't, we don't say hate in this house. Right. We don't. Uh, so I like what she said. The question is, do you believe her? Like, it, um, yeah, it. you know, it felt also awkward that the person who asked, do you hate the president? Uh, works for a very conservative broadcast group. Like sure. it totally felt like like I'm going to trap her now. Like it felt everything wrong with our politics. And yeah, you know, more power to her. I think some of uh, she she definitely felt strongly about the question. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you need to see the video. I'm going to play some audio for it in a second. But the video is wild because Nancy is is walking off the stage, and James Rosen, a former Fox News reporter who now works for the conservative Sinclair Broadcast Group, um, asked, "Do you hate the president?" And it looked like a scene from West Wing. That's what you described it as, yeah. Like, she stopped dead in her tracks, turns and looks at him, starts saying some stuff kind of at him, and then walks back to the podium. And so, you know, Pelosi was almost... At times, it's almost like famously composed. Right, right, right. Has this moment. So uh, it's not quite the same as seeing it, but I want you to hear the exchange, and then uh, we'll respond a little bit. Do you hate the president, Madam Speaker? I don't, I don't hate anybody. I don't have a great house. We don't hate anybody, not anybody in the world. 
So don't, don't be accusing me. I did not accuse. You did. You did. I asked the question. Representative Collins yesterday suggested that the Democrats are doing this simply because they don't like the guy. Nothing to do with it. Let me just say this. I think it's an important I think the president is a coward when it comes to helping our kids who are afraid of gun violence. I think he is cruel when he doesn't deal with the, the helping our dreamers, though, of which we're very proud. I think he's in denial about the about the uh, climate crisis. However, that's about the election. This is about the election. Take it up in the election. This is about the Constitution of the United States and the facts that lead to the president's violation of his oath of office. And as a Catholic, I resent your using the word hate in a sentence that addresses me. I don't hate anyone. I was raised in a way that is full, a heart full of love and always prayed for the president. And I still pray for the president. I pray for the president all the time. So don't mess with me when it comes to words like that. Don't mess with me when it comes to words like that. That felt like the, the, the headliner out of there. Don't mess with me. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and if you watch the video, like there's a really kind of intense look in her eyes. But I, I find it interesting, though, that she the, the thing she said before that, as a Catholic, I resent you using the word yep. hate in a sentence that addresses me. I don't hate anyone. I was raised in a way that is a heart full of love and always pray for the president. And I still pray for the president. And I pray for the president all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that we brought up in the show a lot, actually. And even when we disagree with those in leadership, those in governmental or religious authority, um, agree, agreeing or disagreeing is certainly within our rights. And I think speaking truth to power is certainly the call of the Christ follower, but to also pray for those in authority. But do you find it interesting that she has such a like visceral, almost emotional response to someone accusing her of hate? Like it feels like in this political game, most people wouldn't respond that right. way or be nearly as visually affected by it like did that exchange surprise you at all I, I think how angry she got did surprise me on the one hand it also even felt political in the sense of you know for her she wants it to be about the issues and not about you know a personal attack because that's their better chance to beat them but uh but yet yeah, the visceral response then there's part of me that's like okay she said uh so on the one hand i do like the fact of going because you and i've talked about like let's put some civility back into our politics let's not just because you disagree with somebody politically doesn't mean you hate them. Right. And, and, and so on the one hand, I, I'm applauding her for going, hey, uh, I don't have to hate him. Uh, I can still you know, pray for him and whatever else while still vehemently disagreeing. Uh, I do think both sides at least appear to v- severely dislike each other personally right now. Uh, you know, and then there's. There's the selective use of religion, in my opinion, here, uh, and in, uh, that politicians seem to do all the time. Like, as a Catholic, I don't hate anybody, but as a Catholic, I can, you know, I still support abortion or whatever else. And sure. so that also feels selective. So uh, I would like to think that she believe that she believes and meant exactly what she said because I would cheer it. I'd go, yeah, you don't need to hate the people on the other side of the aisle. You could disagree with them, but let's try to work together. Yeah, uh, and because you and I have talked many times about how that is not the trajectory of our politics and. Uh, if she believes what she says, that would be welcomed if both sides could actually do it. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too, how, right, like you're saying, both sides do often employ their religious background as a talking point. I yeah. also find it interesting that, you know, as she walks back to the podium, the conversation was about, at least initially, this accusation of hate. And then she sort of used that as an opportunity to, you know, 
you talk about some uh, some hot button issues, yes. some talking points. So e- even that tends to feel a little uh, a little multifaceted. Is she justified in that? I think that's anyone's anyone's argument there. But I think it. I, I don't know. I was so struck by this human moment, especially like watching her visually. Like wow, th- there's something deeply ingrained in her that was affected or offended or at the very least triggered, alarmed by some sort of accusation or even just alluding to the fact that she might hate somebody. Yep. I, I find that really interesting. And what she says afterwards, you know, we could talk about that for another hour, but I, yep. I'm, I'm curious if you feel like that's still a thing that people respond that strongly to. I think so. I mean, think about with, uh, <clears throat> I've said it many times to my kids, like we don't say that, you know, we hate anything or anybody. And I, yeah, there is something about that word uh, that is that that raises the level to something that a lot of us are uncomfortable with. President Trump, of course, added when she says she prays for the president. I don't believe her. Not even close. Like there's still just this visceral ugliness of our politics. But yeah, I think I think there's something healthy about trying to take the word hatred out of because that it gets deeply at a person's character, right? Like I could say I disagree with you about something if I say that I hate you. Uh, that's a whole nother level. And so that's why I said if she believes this, actually applaud her for it. It's just hard to believe, quite frankly, anything our politicians are saying at the moment. Why, why do you think that speaks to their character necessarily? Yeah, I think whenever well, oftentimes like say with my kids or not even my kids, just in general, that question. Let's go back to the question. The question was posed. Do you hate him? Do you not? Do you hate what he's done or this or that? It gets very personal. And, and I think that's what we've often said is part of the problem with our politics. You can't say I disagree with what they stand for, or what they're doing while respecting the person. Right. There's people on the Democratic primary right now getting in trouble for saying I would like to or so and so is a good person, but I disagree with them. Right. right. Uh, so I feels like in our culture and it might be true in our churches, we are having a hard time separating uh, and it's not always appropriate to separate, but a lot of times it is. We're having a hard time separating uh, ideas and policies from the nature of a person and what we think about the person. Well, at the very least, I encourage you to go watch it. We'd love to know your responses. We put it on the Facebook page as well. It's just one of those interesting stories that I've seen a lot of different takes on over the weekend. And I thought, oh, maybe people uh, maybe people would like to weigh in. Coming up next, though, Saul Abima, the uh, president of his foundation, the Saul Abima Foundation, helps kids in South Sudan who have been affected by the war. His story, his take, and his ministry uh, is really, really remarkable. You're not going to want to miss it. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. <music> Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, on Twitter, at Common Good Talk, plus wherever it is you get your podcasts. If uh, you like, subscribe, and review on the podcast, that does somehow magically help us out. And uh, we are still a new show, so if you hit that little share button there, send to a friend or a stranger. That could be a fun game. Just type a number at random, and uh, (laughs) we'll be really, really appreciative of that. Brian and I will often say one of our favorite things about this show as much as we enjoy talking just the two of us is having guests especially guests in studio because i don't know there's something about a live interview that's a lot just uh, i think it's a it's a really interesting way to kind of understand people and their stories and uh, we have in the studio Saul Abema who i just learned how to say your last name correctly (laughs) my apologies just a second ago when i said it horrifically incorrectly um but I'd love for people just to, first off, know a bit of who you are and kind of what makes you tick, and then we'll kind of get into the weeds a little bit. Okay. Uh, my name is Saul Abema. Um, 
I was born in South Sudan, but I had my theological training in Johannesburg, South Africa, actually in Soweto, and then came to the U.S. in 2005 to study at Northern uh, Seminary. So mm. I love doing ministry. Right now I work as a hospice chaplain, wow. but mm. I've pastored some churches in South Africa and here, and, uh, and then I work with my uh, foundation, Solabema Foundation in South Sudan. Yeah, could you tell us a little bit more about your upbringing in the South Sudan? Because a lot of us have heard stories about the Sudan, but obviously being so far away, I uh, don't know. Could you tell us a little bit more about what that was like to grow up there and kind of some of the things you saw there? Uh, life in South Sudan as a kid, uh, it was fun. You know, we are, <laughs> we are cattle keepers and we are farmers, so we don't get a chance to go to school like here. Hmm. You know, from age 8, 9, 10, you know, yeah. uh, the family sends you out to grace Carol, you know, so that was uh, almost life. So when we did hmm. go to school, maybe it was, the, you know, we have two seasons, the the rainy season and the hot season. Hmm. So during the rainy season, there's no school because we studied under the mango tree, you know, makeshift schools. Wow. No and then in the hot season, then uh, our volunteer parent teachers, uh, you know, would teach us. Wow. But our country was also torn by war. Uh, the, during the time I was growing up, uh, South Sudan was going through a lot of uh, conflict. Uh, the Sudanese government was uh, mainly attacking the South Sudanese because it mm. was a Christian uh, community. Right. And by then it was one big country and Sudan mm. was an Islamic nation. So in 1974, they introduced the Sharia law where everybody should worship, you know, uh, live within the Sharia law, mm. practice Islamic rules and uh, be in the Islamic religion. Yeah. Mm. But South Sudan had tremendous British influence, so most of the people there, uh, a big majority was Christian, and then the rest were animists. They believed in the traditional African religion. Mm. So in that sense, spiritually, uh, because of the war, the context of living was really tough. Mm -hmm. So the Sudanese government would um, come, and when they find you worshiping in a church, they would kill all of you. You know, they would no, burn kidding. everybody. So there was a lot of uh, religious persecution uh, when I was growing up. Wow. Yeah. Now, is some of that the reason I imagine? So you have a foundation, and you have here in your bio, it says the Zalabama Foundation, helping the children in South Sudan that have been affected by war. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit more about the, the foundation specifically? So uh, because of my life experiences and having gone through uh, the experience of war, yeah. uh, South Sudan is uh, highly affected. So most children really don't go to school. Hmm. Uh, most people are displaced from their homes. In fact, I have a statistic on my foundation's website. Can I read that? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, please do. So this is how uh, the war is affected, and this is why we are doing what we are doing. More than one million children in South Sudan are malnourished. Oh. 300,000 severely so. 60% of people in South Sudan don't know where their next meal is coming from. Wow. Wow. Violence has displaced more than 4 million people. 60% of them children. The ongoing crisis in South Sudan is fueling extremely high rates of infant mortality. 90 of every 1,000 infants born will die. No. 90 wow. out of 1,000. Wow. Only 50% of the population has access to safe water. 10% basic sanitation. Over 60% practice open defecation. Wow. Yeah. 
you see, they just go to the bushes yeah, and yeah, creates right. lots of uh, sicknesses. Mm. Over seventy uh, percent of school-age children are not receiving education. Wow. Over seventy percent. Seventy percent. Wow. Around nineteen thousand, nineteen thousand children held by armed groups are serving as fighters, cooks, porters, messengers, and many suffer sexual abuse. Wow. And I was a victim of that. I was kidnapped at the age of 15 to fight as a child soldier with the okay. Sudanese People's Liberation Army. Wow. So coming from that experience and knowing what children go through. And uh, sometimes I feel blessed now living yeah. in America. Yeah. So mm. God has blessed me. So mm. I think it's an opportunity to look back mm. and give back and give hope and help the children there. That's why That's uh, we are doing that. So we, we provide food. We provide education, uh, makeshift schools, and then we we teach the parents, hmm. you know, to get the, you know, to be able to teach. Their, uh, we teach the parents to be teachers, so mm, they can yeah, teach right. their children from a young age. Yeah. Wow. I'm wondering. It, back to your story, it says that you kind of miraculously through a series of miracles ended up in South Africa in the year 2000. You, you yes. got you piqued my interest. So <laughs> talk to us about those series of miracles that landed you in, in Johannesburg. So. Um, so in 1989, when I was 12 years old, uh, my family, uh, my village was attacked. And uh, it was a nice evening. Uh, we had just gotten, my brother and I, my brother was 14, I was 12. So we'd just come back home from grazing the cattle. Hmm. So we sat down and mom was preparing dinner. Then all of a sudden we had gunshots and people were screaming and shouting. And then um, my dad said, you know, stay here. You know, let me go outside and see how we can run. Mm. Uh, as he began to get out of the door, the militia was right there. Mm. Wow. And they attacked us. Uh, they tied me and my brother together. Wow. And they focused their attention at beating my parents. And they beat them as if that was not enough. Um, they, they had the machetes and began to chop them into pieces. Oh, my gosh. And then um, as if that was not enough, they poured gasoline and lit them on fire. Wow. As a 12-year-old and uh, a Christian, you know, seeing this, you know, praying the Lord's Prayer and hoping that God would perform a miracle, nothing happened. Right. So seeing my parents die, um, the part of me died, mm. and my faith uh, died when they died. Mm. So, you know, in, in our home, uh, the roof was made of grass. So as the fire was burning, you know, it was almost about to catch, you know, the whole place to be burned. So my brother and I would have been burned alive. Wow. And then the Sudanese People's Liberation Army came and rescued us. You know, that's the first miracle. Wow. So then they took us um, from Yei to, to Nimule, to northern Uganda. So that was a long walk. And during the walk, some people died along the way. And then in northern Uganda, what, we were received by United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. Mm. And then we were given um, tents to live in. Uh, that was a difficult time. I was going through depression, severe depression and suicidal right. ideation. Right. Many times I thought of committing suicide. Mm. And I would, sometimes I would sleep and not get out uh, for days. I wanted to die. Mm. And, um, We've been joined by Saul Abema of the Saul Abema Foundation. He's been sharing his story. He's going to stick with us for a couple more segments here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, 
everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm, and we have been joined for quite some time with Saul Abema of the Saul Abema Foundation. He's been sharing just a bit of his remarkable story. Uh, miraculously, there were therapists that came and, and wow. you know, provided us therapy. Some British missionaries came and brought soccer. So the soccer ball became an amazing distraction. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I learned to play soccer. Uh, but there were many days where I'm thinking, this is the day. Let me just kill myself. Let me just drink to death. Mm. And then it's like out here, uh, my mother said, God will make a way for you. Mm. You know, I had a deep relationship with my mother. So I loved uh, my mother, but I hated God. Mm. So when she would say, God will make a way for you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, follow through with my idea. Wow. So we were there and we were taken through therapy. Um, we were taken through school, you know, just, and then I was learning to play soccer. But then at 15, uh, my, um, my brother and I were kidnapped by the Sudanese People's Liberation Army to go and fight against the government. You know, mm-hmm. so you're taken in the jungle and given AK-47 and you're pumped up on drugs. Right. So um, you're psychologically conditioned to, to, to operate as an animal, you know. Mm. Uh, life was meaningless. Mm. You know, every day I would wonder, what is my life? What is my purpose? What is my destiny? Right. And, and I wouldn't see anything. Wow, my goodness. So went through those periods of suicidal ideation. And then um, in 1999, uh, after about five years, you know, my brother came up with an idea, you know, Let's escape. <laughs> you know, <laughs> why not? The thing is, yeah, why not? The thing is, we have seen so many people when, when you try to escape and they find you, they kill you. Yeah. So the penalty was death, you know. So, and so we, we said, you know, let's take the chance. What is there to lose? You know, the way we are living is there's no life. We're just yeah. going through the emotions of life. Right. So apparently he had told he, had, he was trying to invite other kids to join us as we plan our escape then one of the people told the army commander you know watch out for those two brothers um and indeed as we were running they began to shoot at us with the ak-47 and my brother was shot dead gosh and um so i went back and uh, that was tough i didn't want to leave anymore because everyone was gone and my brother who was a source of strength um He's gone too. Yeah. You know, so, then in 2000, uh, a miracle happened. The Sudanese government found out where we were hiding, and they were throwing bombs down. You know, and then I began. Then I ran. Now, this is amazing how God works. Even if I did not want anything to do with God, I ran. I had no idea where I was going, hmm. and I found myself in the border of Uganda and Sudan. Huh. And I met some people there. I'm like, uh, I just ran away. Can you guys help me? And this is another miracle. One guy who lives there said, you know, your rebel group has caused so much chaos in this village. If they find that you are one of them, they're going to kill you. Hmm. So he bought a bus ticket for me, a dollar, (laughs) from there to go to Kampala, which is the capital city of Uganda. When we got in Kampala, I didn't know anybody in Kampala. And um, I didn't know the language. So I ended up in the streets of Kampala. Um, There were so many street kids uh, sleeping on the pavements there, so I joined them, so I would sleep on the pavements. Hmm. The good thing with Kampala is there was a big tax uh, tax rank where women would come and cook food for the tradesmen, you know, Hmm. in the city. 
So during breakfast, lunch, or dinner, I would be around there when I was hungry and just wait. Sometimes people eat a little bit and just throw their food hmm. in the garbage can, so I would go pick it up and eat. So I survived like that in the streets of Kampala for about one month. And, and then one day, um, as I was looking for food in the garbage cans, uh, this guy approached me and said, you know, young man, why are you in the streets? You know, why are you eating from the garbage cans? And mm. I told him, you know, uh, the journey that I'd gone through. And he said, you know, I'm a Christian man. Uh, you can come with me. I'm, tra- I'm transporting goods from Kampala to Dar es Salaam. Then from Dar es Salaam, uh, might end up in Lusaka, Zambia. Hmm. You know, you transport goods from country to country, and we might end up in South Africa. Hmm. I had nothing to lose. I had no passport, so I said, that's fine. So that is one of the miracles. So we made yeah. a long trip. Yeah. No kidding. Then we ended up in Johannesburg, South Africa. And there he bought me some uh, uh, some clothes, and he gave me some money, and he said, in this country, you're going to survive. Just go find a motel. You'll find so many people from your countries, and you're going to make money and have a living. Hmm. So for the first time in my life, you know, Johans- I'm in a world-class city. I'm in yeah. Johannesburg. Right. You know? Wow. Right. <laughs> so as I'm walking, looking for a motel, two criminals come with a gun, and they point a gun at me, and they took everything that I had. <laughs> Wow. Now, I did not know where my friend was because all the streets looked the same. Hmm. I had no idea that streets had names. Hmm. So the miracle, uh, street life in Kampala already prepared me for street life in South Africa. Mm. Wow. So I went back uh, to the streets in South Africa. Luckily, in South Africa, there were so many abandoned buildings where the homeless people would sleep. So I, Sam, you know, I would go by the marketplaces, you know, pick up food and then sleep on the, in the abandoned buildings. So one day, you see, this is a challenge when you're homeless. Uh, nobody, in most cases, nobody wants to talk to you. Right. So you can go for days without having a meaningful conversation with hmm. anyone. And when people see you coming, you know, they just change, move over to the other side of the mm-hmm. road. Right. So because... you. You're unpredictable, so I don't blame them. So, but it was very, uh, the experience, the loneliness and the depression was so severe. Yeah. So one day, uh, and this is how God works, as I was walking, there were two guys coming towards me in a deep in conversation, and I'm thinking, okay, it's the same. When I get closer to them, they will move over to right. the other side right. of the road. But this time they kept coming. Hmm. Then I heard them speaking a language from where I was in the refugee camp in northern Uganda. Then wow. I'm like, hey, brothers, hmm. can you help me? And they were shocked that a street kid in South Africa could you know, speak their language. Right, right. And they said, you know, we cannot help you, but there's a pastor that helps people like you. And then uh, they showed me the pastor's office. Uh, pastor John Dungu, he was the pastor of uh, Bethany Baptist Church. Hmm. So he had about 15 refugees living inside the church. Okay. So uh, so he, he said, oh, you're welcome. You know, we have a place. Join the other boys who are living at the church. So he drove me to the church. And uh, so at night we moved the chairs and then sleep. And so that's how we were. Wow. But it was also a tough time in South Africa where the South African government was tired of immigrants coming to mm-hmm. So the police were given uh, permission to profile. So the police could stop you and say, you don't look like a South African. Where's mm. your visa? Mm. <laughs> so one day as I was just walking outside the church, there's a beautiful park called Berea Park. So I'm walking by the park and the police stopped me. Mm. 
and where's your visa? I'm like, no, I have no visa, no paperwork. Hmm. So I was arrested and taken to deportation camp, a place called Indela. Hmm. And there, uh, and the pastor told me, you know, we are going to pray. Within two weeks, you're going to be out. You know, you know. So he invited the church, and they're praying. Two weeks came, nothing happened. Uh-huh. My faith died. Uh-huh. Mm. <laughs> so, but God was working, and um. Uh, the, uh, you know, I was there for about 40 days. You know, no you had kidding. one meal a day, you know, at, nine, at 3 p.m. until the next day at 3 p.m. That's when you had your meal. Wow. So the Sudanese ambassador came and processed my paperwork. Mm. The thing is because I was forced to fight against the government. If I was deported back to Sudan, I was going to get killed. Mm. I was going to be put on the firing squad. Mm. And then miraculously, the lawyers for human rights heard about my story. And they came with some journalists and they interviewed me. Okay. And then when they published, is it fair to deport this young man back to uh, Sudan, knowing that upon arrival in Khartoum, he's going to get killed. Right. And the public said, no, so I was released. Wow. So and, uh, <laughs> my faith needed that meal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. So I went back to the church. I don't know how to sing. I became one of the choir members. I was singing <laughs> in the choir. I became the youth leader. I became the usher. Everything. No kidding. <laughs> Everything they needed. I did it. Wow. So <laughs> now my faith is revived. I'm, mm. you know, I'm teaching the youth. And then I began to have a series of dreams where I was a minister. I was preaching, but outside the church, not mm. inside. So it happened about four times. Then I told my pastor, you know, I've been having these dreams where I was preaching, but the weirdest thing is it is outside, not mm-hmm. in the church. He said, maybe that is your call to ministry. Then I'm like, okay, now what? And he's like, you know, we are Baptists, so you have to go to school first. So I'm like, okay, how? I don't have any high school degree. You know? yeah, right, right. So he took me to the Baptist Convention College in Soweto. And when they heard my story, they said, you know, your life story is worth a high school degree. Just come to the college mm, wow. and we'll mentor you. That other voice you're hearing is Saul Abema of the Saul Abema Foundation. He's been telling us his remarkable story. And stick around with us here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Everyone, welcome back to the Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, and we're joined in the studio with Saul Abema of the Saul Abema Foundation. He's been talking about his unbelievable story. So they took me to the college. Wow! And they mentored me. It was a big chance to get out of the streets. So the library became like my home. So after three years, I graduated top of my class. Oh wow! And wow. I got a presidential scholarship to come to Northern Seminary in Lombard to do my MDiv. That's amazing. South Africa to Lombard. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's remarkable. Yeah. So yeah, that's why I came there. I got my MDiv in 2008, and then did my uh, doctorate in ministry and got there in 2015. So those are the miracles. What yeah. a story. Jeez <laughs> Louise. First off, thank you so much for sharing all yes. that. I can see on your face, too, there are parts of that story that are still very real, like very tough to talk about. Yeah. And even though you're on the other side of them, it, it really does mean a lot to us that you would take the time to, yeah. to share. Because I think Christianity needs that. So often it feels like what, what's depicted is the shiny and the wonderful, and we like gloss over like the hard and the difficult, mm-hmm. right? Which is a yes. lot of what your foundation is about. We, we yes. have just about four minutes left. I want to yes. make sure to ask this question, though. Yeah. How can people 
support you in the work that you're doing or how yeah. can they come alongside you? If someone's listening and they're thinking, I've, I've never heard a story like this in my life, how can people reach you or, or donate or help or are there opportunities for people even to do that? Yes, you can uh, go to solabemafoundation.org and uh, you can donate on, uh, online there okay. and you can reach me on there and you can see some of the things we're doing and what uh, we plan to do to help the children. Yeah. So for me, I was lucky, but so many of the kids in South Sudan are committing suicide because of right. the despair and the hopelessness mm. becomes so strong that you see no way out. Oh. And in that sense, uh, you feel totally hopeless. Right. And when somebody's totally hopeless, they have nothing to lose and they think suicide <sighs> is the best way out of all this. Wow. And I've been through my period of suicidal ideation, so we're trying to provide therapy for some of these children who've lost their you know, parents from a young age. Mm. It is hard uh, for those kids uh, to, 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 to discover life again, you mm. know, to discover a new normal. Yeah, you right, know, uh, right. It really, it's really, really hard. You need a lot of support mm. to, f- you know, to, form, uh, to formulate a new normal yeah. in a world where your parents and your relatives are not in it, but you are right. in it. So, yeah, so that's, that's what we're doing, and anybody can partner with us. Uh, to bring hope. And that, that's solabama.org, right? That's solabamafoundation.org. Yeah. Yes. Got it. And Abema yeah. is E-B-E-M-A, just yes. so that everyone, and we'll have it on the Facebook page yep. and all that. Yep. Yes. Uh, it's interesting, again, with a couple minutes we have left, uh, you're now a hospice chaplain in Bolingbrook. Yes. And that doesn't sound like a random thing. That sounds like your whole life has kind of, like, it's got to all kind of be knit together. Uh, what is it like now, with all you've been through, to be a hospice chaplain? My God, it is a blessing. I feel like my entire life has prepared me, you know, uh, to become a hospice chaplain, to work with people who are dying. Yeah. You know, as you know very well in this culture, people are scared of death and dying. That's right. But I've had multiple losses in my life. So in a Mm. sense, like you said, I'm still wounded. Mm. I'm still hurt. You never Mm. heal from from wounds of sudden death. But like Henry Nguyen said, you become... uh, I'm a wounded healer. A wounded you know, healer, in that right. Sense. That's right. So I enter into people's pain and walk mm. alongside them. And he said, it's been an amazing journey. And yeah. I feel at home there. That's so where good. Where there's no mask. You know, right. that, that is one of my issues with the church. When mm-hmm. people come to church on Sunday, there's a lot of mass. Mm. But when you're working with the dying and you enter into the house, there's nothing to hide. Right. There's death and dying. That's so, so good. So when wow. there's pain, that is where I feel at home. That's so working good. Working with people in pain and Providing hope. Okay, so for the last minute that we have left, you've seen m- more than maybe any of us will ever actually see ourselves. What what encouragement or challenge would you give to the American church in particular, based on what you've experienced and what you've seen now having been here for a while? Mm. Either a word of hope or a word of, of challenge. What, what would you give? You see, my, my issue with the American church uh, is, yes, people believe in God, you know, uh, but where I come from, you know, people depend on God. Hmm. You know, it's easy to believe in God when you have the checks coming, life right. is good, a lot right. of credit cards. Yeah, right. <laughs> but what happens when you don't have the money coming yep. in, no credit card? So people actually depend on God and hmm. we see lots of miracles. Hmm. So take that belief to total dependence on God. Mm-hmm. And then you see God work tremendously. 
you know, in your faith journey, in your spiritual journey. Man, that's a good word. What a way to end this. Saul, thank you so much thank for taking you. the time to join us again. That is Saul Alabama, the president of his foundation, the Saul Alabama Foundation. I cannot encourage you enough. Go to SaulAlabamaFoundation.org to learn more, to partner, to give. We're so grateful for people like you and the work you do in the world, brother. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here, and after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was, and it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church asked actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to, to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common, our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on the Internet, and uh, I'm going to leave it at that. But if you're a podcaster, though... <laughs> just find us on that Internet find out us. there. If you find something shady, let us know. <laughs> Maybe better yet, don't let us know. Let it's, our bosses know. Let our, don't let our bosses know. Jeez, Louise. I'm confident. I'm confident in my... Uh, you really are the kid at the back of the class that, like, just as everyone's packing up, like, teacher, weren't we supposed to have homework? Weren't we supposed to have an assignment? I know the bell rang, but could you explain that problem yeah, one right, more time? Sit down, sit down. She said there was a quiz that was going to be really, really important. Was that, was that you? No. <laughs> Is that you now? No. Mm, no. You decide, audience. No. Uh, all right, so... In news with characters of people that we've done individual stories on, Kanye West, John Christ, and Joel Osteen. And before you read these headlines, I, I, okay. I, no, my, my first thought when you had these was, could you imagine a year ago being yeah. placed these in front of you saying, read these? What would no. you have thought? I would have assumed it was like some sort of game show. The Babylon Bee. With, right. <laughs> three unrelated characters being thrown together in a... Like a, a National Enquirer story yes, or something like that. Yes. Like, it just doesn't seem real anymore. But... Never a dull moment. So here we go. Here's the first one. Kanye West has agreed to headline Christian Youth Events Strength to Stand Student Bible Conference in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee next month. He will be replacing the previously scheduled headliner comedian John Christ, who was removed after revelations of sexual promiscuity, harassment, and exploitation of young women surfaced last month. Scott Dawson, who runs the conference, explained in a YouTube video that they were dealt a blow when they had to remove Christ as the featured speaker. He said a friend of his who knows a pastor who is working with Kanye West decided to float the idea of the superstar rapper headlining the event as a long shot. I was sitting at home on a Friday afternoon and my phone rang, Dawson said. I thought it was a telemarketer and I just picked it up and I said, this is Scott. To my shock, on the other end of the line, a voice said, hey, Scott, 
This is Kanye West. <laughs> I thanked him for even considering going to a conference, to which he stopped me and said, Scott, after prayer and deliberation, I want you to know I'm not considering it. I'm coming. So let's just all... It's a nice Friday the, afternoon phone yeah, call right there. All the politics and theology aside, what's it like to get a phone call like that in the first place? I, I have no idea. I've never... But, but that would guess, be unbelievable. Right, be strange. First, right? I love that the guy answers the phone, this is Scott. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't let a telemarketer know what my name was. No. But, no, that has to be really surreal. And to this guy, so, A, it's got to be surreal that Kanye West is calling you on the other end. But, B, he lost his headliner to his big conference. And so he's probably also really, really uh, anxious about what they're going to do. So it had to have been uh, a a win-win right there. Kind of really good news. But, yeah, I can't imagine just picking up the phone and being like, Oh, hey, this is Kanye West. It feels like Kanye might be just a hair more recognizable than John Christ. It feels yes. like his... Uh he may have traded up here. Just in terms of market value, I yes. guess. But uh, all right, so before I get to... Would you believe him if he was like, this is Kanye West? Like, no, which one yeah. of my buddies is calling This is right Jamie Foxx doing an impression, <laughs> and, which would still be cool. Like, oh, Jamie, Jamie Foxx. Right. Um, so before I get to my reaction to that, there's another Kanye story I wanted to share. Uh, Texas megachurch pastor Joel Osteen and superstar rapper Kanye West are teaming up once again to host a massive evangelical event at Yankee Stadium in New York City. The pair, who appeared together at Osteen's Lakewood Church a few weeks back, will pair up for the America's Night of Hope event the pa- uh, with Pastor Joel preaching and Kanye bringing the worship courtesy of his acclaimed Sunday service choir. You'd think that Yankee Stadium with its 55,000 capacity seating would be a significant step up, uh, even for Osteen, whose vast worship center holds around uh, 16,000 people. In fact, this will be the third time the popular preacher has hosted his touring evangelical event at that venue. It will, however, be his first one in partnership with Kanye West. TMZ reports the event is slated for May 2nd. Tickets for Osteen Osteen's previous events have cost around $15, though the price is likely to be hiked up now that one of the world's most famous rappers is taking the stage, too. I share those two stories for a number of different reasons, but one of the concerns that I have, mm-hmm. and concern is maybe too antiquated a word or too, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's what it accurately describes how I feel about it, but I, I always get a little nervous, not, not when we believe the legitimacy of someone's conversion, yeah. but when we when we put them uh, on bigger and bigger platforms and more and more limelight as as some kind of authority. And that, obviously, Osteen's event is a little different than uh, the student event, but it sounds like what they're gonna, what we're often expecting of these celebrity Christians, especially if they're new to faith, is to speak with some sort of uh, authority or experience that seems, uh, at the very least, unlikely to expect them to have. And I just I sometimes wonder one what does that do to the person and two how how is that message received from the rest of the world like oh yeah. man they really glom on to hey this is this is going to move tickets this is, and you can make the case you know if they're giving all the ticket you know proceeds to charity or something like there's there's certainly workarounds that I think could help appease some people's tensions but I'm curious just how you feel in general about um, how the evangelical movement has mm-hmm. responded to Kanye and some of the ways that we're we're choosing to to platform him. Yeah, it makes me nervous, man. And and I'm trying to, as I was thinking about this, I'm trying to figure out why. But part of it is it's like it's uh, it's too much too fast, right? Like maybe it, it feels like it to me. And so um, <clears throat> like I saw a clip yesterday again, and I think it's really good. Like I'm going to you're going to hear me kind of wrestling on both sides here because I don't know what the right answer is here. Speaking out of both sides of your mouth? No, (laughs) no, no. Just wrestling. Uh, uh, I saw a pastor that I highly respect who's, 
he he shared a clip from their from their Sunday worship service yesterday of how powerful it was some their worship team doing one of Kanye West's songs mm. in the worship service and he talked about how powerful it was and there was part of me that was like man that's awesome like that's so cool and there's part of me that's like too soon too fast like just let let this get some legs for a little while. And I don't know why I feel that way, but yeah. it's kind of like there is the part of me that's like, man, he, he's been pretty flaky in the past. If he falls, like could happen with anybody, but we've put so many eggs in this basket like right. that if he falls. See, I'm less nervous about that, though. The singing a song that he's no. recorded where you, you can have someone vet the lyrics if you so sure. choose. That's that to me is way different than inviting him to speak at an event. Mm-hmm. I think like we and, and again, maybe I'm. Maybe I'm on a loosey goosey end of that spectrum because, like, it, you know, a community, we've done like a John Mayer cover before. It was a special. It was meant yep. to communicate a specific idea. But is that is that part of it? Would you feel less anxious about it if it was just a special that was included yeah. in the Sunday gathering? Oh yeah, yeah. Because John Mayer, the song, whatever you did, wasn't written for that purpose. And so, uh, I just feel like. Uh, I believe I'm one of these people who is cheering on. Like when we talked about in the past, like, yes, this, you know, God still does amazing things. Like I'm not doubting his conversion story. I just wish that our first inclination, and I totally get why it happens. I just wish our first inclination was not to remove, you know, take him and now put him as the evangelical Christian celebrity for everybody. Be at this conference, be here, be here. And you're like, uh, like, I just wish we could. I don't even know what I wish. Like, give it some time. But I get that's not how celebrity culture works. Like, Kanye West is probably not just going to go sit in the back of somebody's church for, uh, you know. Why not? I hope he does. But it's just not. My point is, it just doesn't seem to be the way celebrity culture works, whether in the Christian world or not. It's immediately there's been this conversion. He's a celebrity. Let's put him on all of our stages now and just keep going. And I just. But why? Why do you, Why do you think that's the trend? Why do you think it's so unlikely that Kanye would sit in the back of a church for the first four years? Because I just don't think that's how celebrity culture works. I think when you're but on a why stage, though? Why don't you think that's how or why celebrity culture works? Like think about Kanye specifically. Why do you think that's so unlikely? Because his whole life has been spent with being on the stage. So maybe he will. Maybe he's a bad example, but. I mean, it's a little bit apples and oranges, but I think you and I talked about this one day. How many of the big Christian pastors that you see at every conference that you go to, have you ever thought to yourself, why don't they stay for the rest of the conference? Yeah, because they're probably going to something else, right? Why do they only speak at conferences and not go to the conference? I'm not, that's painting with a broad brush. There might be guys out there who are Mm. hiding in the back and stuff, but I think you and I know full well, most of the guys who are at all these conferences aren't staying for the conferences. Well, and that's a good point because we're just as bad at it, right? Yeah. Maybe even worse. Maybe this is happening. And the very reason that we don't know about it is the whole point that if mm-hmm. Francis Chan wanted to attend a conference covert, if we How knew about it, it, that we, yeah, that would defeat the whole purpose. Right. Yeah. So maybe there, maybe there is a little cart and horse. That's like, I would love if Kanye West was secretly at some church going through an alpha course and like going through whatever else. I just, it seems like in the Christian world, we're like, Oh, right. Like, and I get it too. You're, you're running a big youth conference. What's, what's one of your goals? It's to fill that youth conference. Oh, yeah. Yankees. I mean, this is the, uh, the Joel Osteen one. How do you sold out it? immediately? Of course it did. And so that youth conference, like you said, when John Chris got removed and Kanye West got put in it, I'm sure that that thing got filled really oh, no, fast. That's the one. That's the one. I'm sorry. That's the one that got sold out. Immediately. But the Osteen yeah. one's going to sell out in no time. You think so? Oh, absolutely. 
And so, you know, I get why we do it. It just makes me uncomfortable, and I hope it doesn't end in a bad spot, and I'm kind of all over the place on it. You know, this is part of what uh, I loved about our conversation with uh, Rick Warren last mm-hmm. week, too. He made a comment. I don't know if it was during the segment or not, but he, he made a comment to both of us, and he said, fame is so overrated. Yes, he did. It's just, it's just overrated. And I think of the Scott Sauls quote where he said something like, platform is overrated kindness is not mm-hmm. you know this idea that like oh and when you know and i think we can justify a lot of this that we you know we want good voices to have a platform i think that's good but yeah you know, to, to maybe uh to maybe make sure that everything's in its proper order all right so coming up next a uh, a segment that i'm gonna give a trial run to here i'm calling it rapid fire which i think maybe needs a better name it's three interesting stories that i didn't think we had enough traction i like it to spend a whole segment on i like we're just going to kind of three completely different stories that brian and i are going to read and respond to in real time that's coming up next here on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. Not only can you find us, I would encourage you to find us. In fact, I just got an email like two or three days ago. Someone was like, your Facebook page is like my second favorite source of news on Facebook. Yeah. She's like, it's not just like, wow. you know, because sometimes it's like quirky, weird stuff. But sometimes it's like, I actually did not know that. And following you guys has really helped me. And it's cool engagement because it's other people that are wanting to kind of yep. take a deeper dive into some of these topics. I don't know. I found that. That's really cool. Pretty encouraging. Uh, all right. So this is a segment that I don't have a great name for yet. And I'll tell you where it came from first. Like we already don't have enough time. But um, sometimes we'll run across articles or stories that we'll look at and go, oh, that's interesting. I don't know that I have a whole segment's worth of thoughts about it. That's a really good point. You know what I mean? And sometimes we'll try it. Some of you know exactly what we're talking about. (laughs) They're like, do they have 10 minutes? We look up and it still says five. And we're like, like, yikes. And then we're like, so let's spin this forward to the church, is what Brian Fromm would say. Uh, You can't can't give out my secrets there. (laughs) People are aware. They've been listening for more than 12 seconds. (laughs) Let's spin this forward. Uh, (laughs) So these are just three. I'm calling it rapid fire. If you have Mm -hmm. a better name or idea, I would love to hear that because I feel there's always these like quirky fun little stories that I don't have a lot of like deep commentary yep. on I just think they're, they're interesting funny. and we could have some fun with them uh, so the first one is banana duct tape to a wall sells for $120,000. Have you seen this story? I did. In fact, I used it in my sermon yesterday, just, you know, getting pastoral laughs. What was the what was the illustration? <laughs> it was it was funny. I was trying to get to the craziness of Christmas, oh. but I was starting, I got there and it was really just to engage and get some laughs, but it was I started with our world is just crazy altogether. So this was kind of okay. that illustration and then I went. Uh, but yeah, it's an awesome story of uh, of Italian artist Maurizio Catalan at the Art Basel uh, in Miami Beach, and his he literally bought a banana at a mo- at a grocery store, <laughs> duct taped it to the wall. That was the exhibit, and it sold for hundred and twenty thousand uh. dollars. And then it says the vendors decided to offer the third and final piece for hundred fifty thousand dollars, and there are institutions interested in purchasing it. Crazy story. Uh, so my wife, when she was attending art school, I think I've told you this story. She was like starting to get a little disenfranchised with the whole operation. And on her way to class for some final project, she like picked up some garbage off the street and like stapled it to the wall and got rave reviews. <laughs> and she's like, no, it's actual garbage. And they're like, that's right. The whole institution is a type of refuse. And she's like, 
no, it's actual garbage <laughs> that I picked up on the way here. And they're like, A plus. And she's like, I hate this. This is insane. So this is pretty funny. And somebody eventually uh, actually ate the banana. I just well, it's, it's hilarious. And now on so- social media, I don't know if you've seen people doing this, but I've seen a couple people like my, yeah. my kid, Tape. my kid taped an, an, an orange <laughs> to the wall. Anybody want to buy it? So this is what I love. I can't believe I haven't seen like a sermon series based on this image yet. That's, you are the banana on right. the wall. Jesus is the duct tape or whatever. I that's not bad, actually. Let's work with this. <laughs> yeah, that started off as a joke, but now it's a legit idea. Now it's a summer series right there. All right, for story it. number two in Rapid Fire, or whatever this segment's called. An Amazon Prime delivery guy had the world's purest reaction to discovering snacks outside a home. So this family, really sweet idea, actually. That's part of why I wanted to do the story, because I thought, man, maybe somebody else has this idea. So the, uh, the family knows that there's all sorts of deliveries during the Christmas season. So they put out this, just like a Tupperware thing, full of like some bottled water and some trail mix and and some fruit and caught one guy's reaction on their uh, little doorbell camera yep. and uh, the reaction you need to go watch the video because there's a dance included but even the audio <laughs> is uh, is pretty wonderful oh this is nice oh they got some goodies wow oh this is sweet oh wow get out of here this is sweet Just keep in mind, he doesn't know he's being filmed. No, it's just unadulterated joy I right love there. It. That's why. So, again, this is another example of like, we could have committed a whole segment to this, and when you and I would have floundered trying to talk about how we would have nailed it. Pure joy. <laughs> no, you think way too Generosity. highly of us. No. But I think it's not It's not a surprise that this video was shared on Facebook on December 2nd has amassed 2.4 million views. Yeah, isn't that it, crazy? It's such a simple act that the people did, uh-huh. although one that admittedly I'd never thought of, right? But right. it's such a simple act in the, like, we just said the guy didn't do it like in front of her like right. while she held the camera or whatever this was just caught by one of those ring doorbell deals and just <laughs> so it's such a genuine reaction of joy it's up a, such a right. simple act that has no all, audience no right it's just beautiful it's a beautiful thing and 2.5 million people have seen it it's also a great idea that's part yes. of why i wanted to share it like think about delivery drivers in the midwest during the winter season this is a particularly stressful time of year for them. Yes. And I think that's easy to miss. And just sort of the simple, I don't know. Like, to me, it's part of what I love, I love about videos like this because the idea is so simple and it's something that, that literally all of us could do. Yep. You know, just a little Tupperware thing with some snacks and you might not get 2.4 million views. But, I don't know, there's not enough glorification and not enough celebration of yes. good stories like this because like the story we just did some people are dropping 120 grand on a banana taped to a wall so like you know these the disparity between <laughs> yes. like the general thrust of these two stories i think is really interesting and this third one is a real curveball this is the absurd this one yeah <laughs> i saved this one for last on purpose and the headline i think is tongue in cheek it says finally a christian version of the cha cha slide <laughs> clean christian versions of popular songs is a trait nearly as old as pop music itself why should the devil have all the good music as the saying goes uh, usually someone say the apologetics did you ever listen to the apologetics I by did the not. way they are phenomenal it's apologetics with an x by the way yes comes along and swaps out a pop songs blue elements for something clean wholesome and sanctifying like weird al but christian christian weird al but the version <laughs> below is a unique case as you will soon well you get to hear you can't actually see the cha-cha slide was never actually in need of a christian overhaul well except for the dancing part but whoo 
boy, they got it done. So we're just, our producer's so excited to play as much of this as possible. So we're going to let you listen to it a little bit. <laughs> Feel free to dance it out. And dan- yeah, just dance it out unless you're driving, and then we'll react in a second. Hey, y'all, this right here is the Bible Slide featuring the Freedom Band. Oh, and this time, we're about to get holy, 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 holy. <laughs> you can't help yourself. I can't. Holy, holy, holy. Everybody clap your hands. Clap, 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 clap your hands. Brian's loving this. Clap, Look at clap, you dance. Clap, clap your hands. Oh, boy. All right, we're about to have some spiritual milk to the left. That's the part Take that I want everyone to hear. I want to keep going. Pray once this time. Pray once. <laughs> On the devil, let's stomp. <laughs> On the devil, let's On temptation, let's stomp. Bible slide, real smooth. I like how we fit in temptation there. It's like way too now many syllables. Shout. Woo! Oh, to the right. Take a step of faith. Oh, no. Jump out the boat. Jump out the boat. Right foot, let's go. <laughs> Left foot, let's go. Bible slide now, y'all. Now it's time to get holy. What is wrong with get right now. in the world? To the left. Should we just keep going? Yes. Take it to the grave. Take it to the grave. <laughs> see it resurrect. Come alive this time. Right fist, two pumps. Right fist, left two fist, pumps. two pumps. Oh boy. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Backslide. No! Backslide. No! It's just a move. So they're anti-backsliding. At least that's. Let's win the lost. Let's win the Go lost. Left. Take his kingdom back now, y'all. Okay. Two souls this time. So I've, I've watched this, and I still can't tell if it's meant to be funny or not. I hope so. I honestly don't know that it was supposed to be. <laughs> he just ended with two souls this time. Two souls this time, yeah. Don't just win one soul, Brian. Win two souls. I'm, that is the first I've heard that. That is, that is something. <laughs> you, you must fell out what of your was, chair. What was your favorite line in that one? Oh, well, it's hard because I'm associating the visual with the Yeah, uh, I have seen the visual. The don't look to the right, look to the re- left uh, dance motion was phenomenal. Okay. Uh, jump out the boat was pretty good. That was a good one. I think, <laughs> I think backslide. No! no! <laughs> if only it were that easy. You're like, hey, uh, I'm thinking about backsliding in my faith, and you had just a team of people going, no! Don't that, do it. That song got more ridiculous as it went. I don't know if it's satire <laughs> or if it's I'm, we've you and I have both been in the Christian subculture long enough to know that that's probably not satire. <laughs> well, that's that's sort of what I want. We got less than a minute now, but like, what is there any like takeaway from that story Whoa. or the three that we did at all? No, they're funny. I mean, that was <laughs> that does highlight that last one does highlight some of the ridiculousness that happens uh, in the Christian subculture. Again, I, I keep selling myself out as one who spent two years, two summers in college working for testaments. Uh, <laughs> I it, there, always forget that. there is a craziness to the Christian subculture that that was either doing satire on or was knee deep in one of the two. Well, either way, I encourage you to go actually Gotta watch it. Like, re- read these stories for yourself. Watch that video. Um, maybe not with your kids around because it's going to scar them. Backslide. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be in our head now. We, we brought this on ourselves. Okay. Let's bring back the content of the show. Coming up next, this map shows how the U.S. really has 11 separate, quote, nations with entirely different cultures. This is such a fascinating deep dive into some of the uh, division that we see both in person and online. And we're going to talk about it coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. And we need to apologize for that last segment. Oh, apologize for nothing. Oh, boy. I'm apologizing then. You can send all of your reprimanding emails to Brian <laughs> then, I guess. 
Yeah. Trying to bring it back to highbrow. I don't know that we're ever actually highbrow. H- higher brow. The common good. Bringing it back to highbrow. B- bringing it back to medium brow. <laughs> Just middle of the road brow. Uh, so here's the headline. This map shows how the U.S. really has 11 separate nations with entirely different cultures. So we talk a lot about how important the word common is to our show mm-hmm. and how we're trying to create space and dialogue for common dialogue, common conversation around stuff that we maybe share in common. And that is hard to do, obviously, because you and I come from different backgrounds. People listening come from different backgrounds, are in different life stages now. But we think there's probably, no, not probably, think there is value to creating space, you know, to take a deeper dive. So here's how the article begins. It says, America may be divided into 50 states, but many areas are culturally similar. In his fourth book, American Nations, A History of the Eleven Rival uh, Regional Cultures in North America, award-winning author Colin Woodard identifies 11 distinct cultures that have historically divided the U.S. The country has been arguing about a lot of fundamental things lately, including state roles in individual liberty. Woodard, a Maine native who won the 2012 George Polk Award for investigative reporting, told Business Insider. But in order to have any productive conversation on these issues, you need to know where you come from. So I thought it'd actually be interesting for us to walk through these 11 because I've never seen anything divided quite like this. The visual is actually helpful. So you can go to the Facebook page, uh, Common Good Radio Show, to find the article itself. But here are the uh, 11 separate nations that Woodard suggests that we all are a part of that make up the United States. Why don't you kick us off with number one? Yeah, let me do number one. It's just interesting right above it. One of his quotes is that this uh, blue states are getting bluer, red states are getting redder right, right. because people are going to people who are like them. And this of course. is going to get So, number one is Yankeedom, uh, which encompasses the entire Northeast north of New York City and spreading through Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. It says Yankeedom values education and members are comfortable with government regulation. Yankeedom values education, intellectual achievement, communal empowerment. And citizen participation in government as a shield against tyranny. Uh, Yankees are comfortable with government regulation. Woodard notes that the Yankees have a, quote, utopian streak as the area was settled by radical Calvinists. Interesting. Number two, uh, New Netherland in the New York area has a materialistic culture, a highly commercial culture. New Netherland is materialistic with a profound tolerance for ethnic and religious diversity and an unflinching commitment to the freedom of inquiry and conscience, according to Woodard. It is a natural ally with Yankeedom and encompasses New York City and northern New Jersey. The area was settled by the Dutch. That is where I grew up. I know. That was my area. Uh, The next one is the Midlands, largely located in the Midwest, opposes government regulation. Settled by English Quakers, the Midlands are a welcoming middle class society that spawned the culture of the American heartland. Political opinion is moderate and government regulation is frowned upon. Woodard calls the ethnically diverse Midlands America's great, great swing region. Within the Midlands are parts of New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Missouri, Iowa, Kansas, and Nebraska. This is so interesting. Number four, Tidewater started as a feudal society that embraced slavery. Tidewater was built by the young English gentry in the area around the Chesapeake Bay in North Carolina, starting as a feudal society that embraced slavery. The region places a high value on respect for authority and tradition. Woodard notes that Tidewater is in decline, partly because, quote, it has been eaten away by the expanding federal Mm -hmm. halos around D.C. and Norfolk. Uh, Greater Appalachia encompasses parts of Kentucky, Tennessee, West Virginia, 
and Texas, colonized by settlers from a war-ravaged borderlands of northern Iowa, north, uh, northern Iowa. <laughs> people, close, people in close. Iowa are like, when were we in war? Yeah. Northern Ireland, mm. northern England, and the Scottish lowlands. Greater Appalachia is stereotyped as the land of hillbillies and rednecks. But Woodard says Appalachia values personal sovereignty and individual liberty and is intensely suspicious of lowland aristocrats, aristocrats and Yankee social engineers alike. Hmm. It sides with the Deep South to counter the influence of federal government. Within Greater Appalachia are parts of Kentucky, Tennessee, West Virginia, Arkansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, Indiana, Illinois, and Texas. Number six, Deep South. Not the, what was the joke, the, the deep... I don't know. I'm not going to help you here. I played bass in, uh, what was the joke? <laughs> I don't remember. Deep State. That's what oh, it is. Deep State, yes. Deep South adopts a rigid social structure and opposition to government regulation. The Deep South was established by English slave lords from Barbados and was styled as a West Indies-style slave society. Woodard notes uh, it, it has a very rigid social structure and fights against government regulations that threatens individual liberty. Alabama, Florida, Mississippi, Texas, Georgia, and South Carolina are all a part of the Deep South. El Norte has a dominant Hispanic culture. Composed of the borderlands of the Spanish-American Empire, El Norte is a place apart uh, from the rest of America, according to Woodard. Hispanic culture dominates in the area, and the region values independence, self-sufficiency, and hard work above all else. Parts of Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, and California are in El Norte. All right, number eight. The left coast, located in coastal California, is a lot like Yankeedom and Greater Appalachia. California has permanently moved up its presidential primary from June to March. That is an advertisement. <laughs> that in this printed version, I cannot tell the difference. I would have fallen for the same thing right there oh. as I was reading it. I like to say fallen like we got punked or something, but it's just mostly like a clerical error. <laughs> That's funny. All right. Well, that wasn't part of it, but this is. <laughs> Colonized by New Englanders and Appalachian Midwesterners, the left coast is a hybrid of Yankee utopianism and Appalachian self-expression and exploration, Woodard says, adding that it is the staunchest ally of Yankeedom. Coastal California, Oregon, and Washington are all in the left coast. That is fascinating. Uh, the far west span, uh, spans states in the central U.S., including Montana, Wyoming, and Utah. The conservative west developed through large investment in industry, yet where inhabitants continue to uh, resent the eastern interests that initially controlled the investment. The far west spans several states, including Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Utah, Nevada, Nebraska, Kansas, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, North Dakota, South Dakota, Washington, Oregon, and parts of California. All right, number 10. This one's interesting. New France inhabitants are comfortable with government involvement in the economy. A pocket of liberalism nested in, nestled in the Deep South as people are consensus-driven, tolerant, and comfortable with government involvement in the economy. Woodard says New France is among the most liberal places in North America. New France is focused around New Orleans and Louisiana, as well as the Canadian province of Quebec. Hmm. Uh, last one, First Nation, most of whose people live in a northern part of the country, is made up of Native Americans. Uh, protesters demonstrate against the energy. Oh, I just I fell for an ad as well. <laughs> I fell for an ad as well. Man, some highbrow reporting here. Made up of Native Americans, the First Nations <laughs> members enjoy tribal sovereignty in the U.S. Woodard says the territory of the First Nations is huge, but its population is under 300,000, mm. most of whose people live in the northern reaches of Canada. That is a fascinating study. I'd never read anything quite like this. I'm no. curious what. What does this tell you then, now kind of reading it for the first time? Uh, it, it is a reminder that our country is, I think a lot of us feel it, but that our country is a lot more complex than we give it credit for. Do you think people feel it? I think so. Because yeah. 
it, it always strikes. But, you know, you normally hear people just talk about uh, you've either got the south or the north. Or you've got mm. the coasts, the coast, California right. and New York and all of that. And everything in the middle is different. The flyover states where we live, right? right. Or the Midwest is this, but this, it's, it all feels different. This kind of says, no, we're pretty, even within those general parameters, right. it's even more segmented than right. that. I think it's really interesting. And it gives the background to it, which is great. Well, and that I think is what's most curious to me about this story is because you know, I imagine like somebody part of the New France, right? When when we here in the North make these sweeping generalizations about people from the South, like I have a friend who you know was born and raised in Florida, and he's like, Florida's a little bit of an anomaly when it comes to Southern culture, and I never would have really known that if we hadn't been roommates yes. in college, like just learning even some about. I was like, oh, that sounds like. Michigan. He's yeah. like, yeah, that's why I think we get along. And I think at the very least, and now I know we talk about how divided our nation is all the time, mm-hmm. and I, that doesn't seem to be getting better anytime soon. Maybe, hopefully it is. Maybe the show is playing a small part in mm-hmm. that. But I think even just being mindful of not only some of the unique divisions that exist, but also where they come from. Yeah. I think some of the background and context from this article is really helpful. Like, oh, that's why historically for hundreds of years, People over here, over here, have valued this, yep. really held this up, and things that feel very, you know, normal or second nature to us, to somebody else, even within our own country, yep. feels totally foreign. And I think uh, that's a good reminder, don't you think? Uh, it totally is. Like even my home state, where I grew up in New Jersey, yeah. Like if you don't live there, I don't, or have never been there, you don't really understand that North Jersey and South Jersey are almost two different states. Yeah, I didn't even really realize Comple- that until we started and, the show. And this defines it. Like this, right. North Jersey and South Jersey, he places in two completely different camps. Isn't that wild? And when you live there. There, you're like, oh, yeah, no, North Jersey and South Jersey are totally different. Oh, is that obvious? Yeah, if you've ever been in both. I'm one of my uh-huh. best friends. He current, he, we obviously grew up in North Jersey. He now lives yeah. in South Jersey, and I was talking to him, and he's like, it's so different. It's like living on a different planet. Totally. totally. It's like so a different state. That's it's a whole so different area. Interesting. Man, oh, man. Well, we hope you found that interesting. You can find all of that on our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. Coming up next, we're landing the plane the way that we always do with some interweb insanity stories we have not seen, sound effects we have not heard. We're going to giggle and cry right along with you. That's Coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. All right, lads and ladies, we know that that music can mean only one thing. And if you're just joining us, you're like, what? What is that? What is that one thing? I'm waiting. It is the segment of the show we've gotten the least amount of feedback on, and yet... Are the, the most are, are the most dedicated to continuing to do. It's a great point. <laughs> I think it's probably also the most difficult for any of us to pull off. Like yeah. the stories, sound effects. Either way, it is interweb insanity stories, true stories from the internet that our producers have chosen for us. We read them uh, SNL style, sight unseen, so we have no idea what they are, and there's sound effects associated with them that are sometimes borderline inappropriate. But before we go there, uh, we're going to say some words at you. Brian, why don't you go first? Yep, I have an exclusive offer for our listeners just in time for the holidays. If you buy a set of Giza cotton sheets from MyPillow, you'll get the second set free. Two for one. Whoa. Not only that, but you'll get free shipping. If you add anything else to your order, like the MyPillows, the mattress toppers, the towels, anything, those items will ship free as well. And common good listeners can get deep discounts on all my pillow products but you have to use the promo code WYLL I've told you this before uh, my wife and I we've got the pillows we've got the sheets we've got the towels uh, I could tell you they are as advertised they are great uh, all products have a 60 day money back guarantee and a 10 year warranty so go to mypillow.com 
click the radio listener specials box and get two sets of Giza cotton sheets for the price of one, plus free shipping on your entire order. That's MyPillow.com. Promo code W-Y-L-L. Wow, really well done, Brian. Mine's Professional. A, a lot shorter. Uh, now, through the end of the year, your donation to Focus on the Family will be doubled. Um, Learn how you can at 1160hope.com. Keyword, family. Hmm. How's that for you? That's great. All right, kick us off. Nevada. Hospital sends $3,000 bill for pulling toy from girl's nose. Oh, boy. Hold on. You don't actually say Nevada, do you? What do you say? John, how do you say it? Nevada. Yeah. I go, I'm a Las Vegas, Nevada. No, I'm a Nevada guy. You really are? Yeah. Are you a pajama guy as well? Pajamas. Oh. Pajamas. Pajamas. I don't actually know. <laughs> I can see PJs. you working out at PJ's. <laughs> Producer John? No. <laughs> All right, here we go. A Las Vegas mother says she received a $3,000 bill after doctors removed a plastic doll shoe stuck in her three-year-old's nose. Uh, Lucy Branson stuck two pink Polly Pocket plastic doll shoes up her nose, one in each nostril. I actually remember my kids playing with those. They seem dangerous. Sure, your kids playing. (laughs) Her mother, Katie Branson, says that she was able to remove one of the shoes, but even urgent care couldn't get the second shoe. She then took her daughter to the hospital in Henderson, where physicians used a tweezer-like tool to successfully remove the shoe in seconds. The Branson family say they initially received a bill for $3,000, but the charge was reduced to $1,700 because of a high-deductible medical policy. Don't worry, you won't feel a thing <laughs> till I jam this down your throat. <laughs> That's a new one. That's right? good. That's no, good. All right. All right. Uh, Connecticut, or as Brian would say, good de coot. Uh, is that right? Is that a fair assessment <laughs> of your good. accent? Doorbell camera catches bear smashing holiday decorations. This is much different than the Amazon story. A doorbell camera recorded a disgruntled bear walking up to the front porch of a home in Granby, Connecticut, and destroying the festive displays the homeowners had set up for Thanksgiving last week. The enormous bear is first seen sitting on the steps of the home, pushing at the decor and mauling at the pumpkins that had been arranged out front. After a while, the bear gets up, starts to inspect each of the pumpkins it has already destroyed and thrown from steps onto the walkway towards the house. The clip then shows a clearer image of what the bear has done with the doorbell camera footage from the next morning. The pumpkins are smashed. It's a good band. And it looks like the bear tried to eat the insides before giving up and leaving the property. Big bear chase me! I see what you did there. The pumpkins were smashed. That was good. Mm-hmm. He's also from Chicago. Utah. Man arrested for punching two McDonald's employees in the face. <laughs> that is very straightforward headline right there. Yeah, that's not a straightforward 28-year-old man was arrested last month after face-punching a couple of McDonald's employees for getting their, more, their order wrong. The suspect's name is Victor Jimmy Castro. Huh. A court document states he then left his food but later returned to the fast food restaurant walking behind the front registers into the employee area where customers are not allowed. Oh, Castro then proceeded to punch them in the face. Wow. That was frightening. All right, Florida. Thank God. Uh, we're back. Artist creates life-size traffic jam in Santa Florida Beach. <laughs> a Florida city unveiled an unusual beachfront artwork, a life-size recreation of a traffic jam sculpted from sand. The city of Miami Beach commissioned Argentinian artist Lee... Leandro Elric, I can't say it, in order to create the order of importance and installation consisting of 66 sand sculptures of cars and trucks lined up on South Beach. I pity those poor suckers on the freeway. Gas break, hog. Gas break, hog. Hog, hog, punch. Gas, gas, gas. Oh, that's so, a good it's one. a poetic version of a traffic jam, it said. Last one. Last one's out of Ohio. We do these all the time. Family wakes up to a fine stranger passed out on couch. This yeah, happens how, all yeah, the how time. Is that possible? Jay Goodman says he and his wife assumed that a loud noise that woke them up early Sunday morning was their cat knocking something over. I popped up and was like, what's that? 
The couple went back to sleep, but when Jay's wife later got up to make coffee, she discovered an intruder had staggered into their home through an unlocked door. She said, hey, Jay, there's a stranger sleeping on our couch, and I'm half asleep. I said, what? She said, there's a strange guy sleeping on our couch. I walk out to the living room, and sure enough, there's this guy that I've never seen before completely passed out. Goodman said his first instinct was to arm himself with a baseball bat to protect his family. Uh, I called 911 and said, I don't know who this person is. I don't know if he's drunk or what. Uh, The police quickly responded and arrested 30-year-old Colin Phoebus on a charge of burglary. Uh, He apologized to the Goodman family. He said, I'm very sympathetic for them. I apologize for it. It's not my demeanor at all. I'm a good citizen, and I want them to be aware that I'm sorry for my actions. You know, you should lock your door. There's horrible people out there. (laughs) There's horrible people right in here. What was that from? I don't recognize that. Oh, well, this is always such a weird way to end the show. It really is. And yet we keep committing to do it this way. And And we will will continue. That's right. All right. Well, tomorrow we're going to talk about the Pope. We're going to talk about Brad Paisley. We're going to talk about Jimmy Fallon and a whole host of other things and people. Hope you'll join us 4 to 6 p.m. each and every single day on AM 1160. Hope for your life.